0: Welcome to Season 2 and Happy New Year. This episode of Adventures on the Road is brought to you in partnership with On the Road Magazine. Latest issue on sale now or download at ontheroadmagazine.com.au In this episode we chat to Queensland College of Wine Tourism. Yes folks, you can go to school and learn how to make wine. And we learn more about the Daily Trippers. In a sec, we chat to Peter O'Reilly from the Queensland College of Wine Tourism in Stanthorpe. Like Stanthorpe, many towns are doing it tough due to the drought and now bushfire. Please remember these towns need your support. If you have booked to go away or intend to travel to one of these areas, please go if it is safe to do so. Many places have suffered mass cancellations, so if you can, please keep travelling. Now, let's get back on the road. Well, I'd like to welcome Peter from the Queensland College of Wine Tourism. G'day, Peter. Good morning. Thank you for having me along. Great to have you on the podcast. So, tell me a little bit about who and what is the Queensland College of Wine Tourism.
1: The Queensland College of Wine Tourism has been a feature of Stanthorpe for the last 12 years. It's a joint venture between the state government through the Department of Education and Training originally and University of Southern Queensland. It's um, a training organisation. It trains at school level, vocational education, you know, TAFE level, and also it has um, some interests in tertiary education as well, being part of the University of Southern Queensland. We're all about furthering tourism and the wine industry uh, throughout Queensland. And, of course, the, uh, that wine industry is centred here in Stanthorpe, so it's a good place to have it. We look at ways of uh, in- encouraging quality, and promotion of both food and wine tourism in this part of the state
0: so obviously there's the educational benefit and the training benefit for people who want to get involved in the industry what about the the traveller what can they do when they come and visit
1: well i guess what we really like to do is showcase food and wine the the granite belt of course for many years was was known really only for apples or primarily for apples and I remember as a, a young fella coming up here, you'd see along the side of the road uh, all of those roadside stalls selling fresh fruit. They've gone by the wayside a little bit now, but we still produce an enormous amount of uh, fresh fruit and vegetables. And so that's a real part of what we present here at the college. We have a restaurant, Varia's Restaurant, is, I really think it's one of the best restaurants in regional Queensland. I've travelled all over the state. I've worked all over the state in tourism. I think it has very few that could be its equal in regional Queensland.
0: What's a really good item on the menu?
1: Well, it's hard to keep up because our menu, because it's focused on fresh produce and fresh local produce, it actually changes about every six weeks. So I'm afraid I don't even get to eat everything that's on the menu. I'd be the size of a house if I did. We actually have a wonderful following amongst the local people and I, part of that is having that regularly changing menu. They know they'll they'll come and get something different every time. Did you conduct it, like any tours or anything like that uh, for the public? We do. We have a, a real range of, of public offerings on a, a short daily basis on Thursdays through Sundays at um, 11 o'clock each day we have a a tour of the facility, we can have a cooking demonstration, um, which people get to sit around the around the chef's bench while he prepares a meal, and uh, they get to taste that as well, which is great. They also then get to taste our range of wines, and like many of the Granite Belt wineries, we're um, very closely uh, welded to the strange bird concept, where we have many of these unusual varieties, um, and so we like to... To be there on the cutting edge, and so it's a, a really interesting wine experience at the college. We also like to feature other people's wine as well. We've got to always have a bit of a theme going, where we might be looking at Tempranillos of the Granite Belt during winter, or Rosés of the Granite Belt, or Rosés of Queensland during summer. So you can come taste our wine, but also see what some of the other wineries around the state are offering. I've heard that there's a thing
0: called Vineyard of the
1: Future. Well, that's sort of the other half of us, whilst we're doing a lot of training work and working with young people and preparing them for the industry, where I've mentioned we also are very keen on the idea of raising quality standards and ensuring that the Queensland wine industry is the very best it can be. And one of the things we're doing is the Vineyard of the Future, which we do in conjunction with Queensland Wine Industry Association and Wine Australia. So it's actually a project of national significance. The Vineyard of the Future has 70 varieties in it, only small numbers. Seventy? Mm, yeah. Well, there you go. I didn't think there was that many. Oh, there's many thousands of wine varieties um, and grapes around the world. So not all of them worth drinking, of course. Yeah, fair enough. But okay, so y- you've got 70 out there. Yeah, so what we're doing is we're monitoring those in their growth habits and we're we're just sorting through to see which ones suit our conditions best. Queensland's very different from the rest of the Australian wine industry in that we have summer-dominant rainfall and summer is when the fruit is out hanging on the vine. And so we have um, potential issues with powdery mildew and downy mildew and bunch rots, potrituses. So we 're very focused on finding those varieties that have berries with thick skins and bunches that are that are open and the air can flow in between as opposed to a chardonnay which has a really tight compact bunch and is just a a, a such a hotbed of disease when you get those sorts of tight bunches so we're looking for ones that bud a bit later or a bit earlier um, a bit later up here because of the um, the prevalence of frosts in October, which can take out your crop, ones that uh, ripen quickly might be able to avoid the worst of the wet season in March. We sort of ha- like to know exactly what each variety offers and we- what characteristics they offer the grape grower. Then, of course, once we've worked out which ones are growing well, we're also uh, using microvinification, where we we have very small batches of wine because. Most of these varieties, we've only got four vines. We had, um, we've made batches of wine, entire vintages, it's only two bottles, one point five liters of wine. But that's enough to be able to try that wine and go. This has got real promise, or that's awful. We'll forget that one. <laughs> and you know, both both are really good outcomes. Have
0: there been many failures so far? Where we've gone up, cross that one off the list.
1: It's been more in growing habits, I think, that um, has produced the, the greater number of. No, we'll cross that off the list. There's been a couple where we've got question marks for, and we'll try them again and make sure that our our first our first uh, dubious thoughts are correct or otherwise. Vintages change, of course. You get such differences from one year to the other.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, I suppose, one of the fascinating and interesting things about the wine industry is that the wine that you drink today isn't necessarily going to be the same wine when you drink it a few years' time, is it?
1: That's right. And of course, the same wine and the same vintage drunk at the same time from vineyards separated by a very short distance can also be incredibly different. So it's, it's so many variables. What we're trying to do is cut down the risk for people. Um, if we can get varieties that are resistant to moulds and mildews, there are so many boxes ticked. It's easier for the grape grower. It's cheaper for the grape grower. It's better for the environment because we're not spraying um, chemicals at anything like the same rates. So there's so many advantages. And all those things, of course, make the wine cheaper for the consumer and they're they're an important part of this mix.
0: Indeed, they are. So, whereabouts are you actually located here in Stanthorpe?
1: We're um, right on the highway uh, as you head around town uh, on the on the bypass part of the highway. But uh, on ca- we're corner of Caves Road and the New England Highway. We're actually part of um, on the land that is part of Stanthorpe State High School's agriculture plot. So we're in amongst the fruit trees and the limousine cattle and and beautiful grapevines.
0: Oh, gee, that must be nice looking out the, the office
1: window of the daytime. It's not a bad view, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice now that the, there's beautiful uh, bud bursts has happened and the vines are all turning green and life seems to have returned after winter because it can be a bit cool up here during winter. So it's nice to have a beautiful spring scene.
0: Yes, I, I can remember on some of my trips during winter that uh, you definitely needed to add an extra layer to keep just that little bit warmer.
1: Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that.
0: (laughs) They don't call it brass monkey weather for nothing.
1: Do you guys have a website that we can go to and have a look at? Yeah, it's pretty easy too. It's www.qcwt.com.au.
0: When we come to have a bite to eat for lunch and, and enjoy a nice wine,
1: is there plenty of room there? Yeah, we've got great space there for people towing a van. You're able to turn around. You're able to park comfortably. Um, we, we see that quite regularly. Um, even, you know, we don't mind people bringing their, their pets in if they're well-behaved and they sit out in the veranda. Uh, so that sort of thing is always a bit of a bonus. And one of the great things about being a, sort of a an institution, if you like, is that everything's institutionally clean. So beautiful toilet facilities and bathrooms and that sort of thing. And that's always such a plus when you're on the road.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Peter, thanks for your time. That's that's been very interesting and
0: enlightening. Thank you. Great to be here. We're well, back now with the Daily Trippers talking homeschooling.
2: But in saying that, we obviously don't want them to fall behind, so we will keep up with whatever we need to do. But I think it's definitely going to be a patience tester. <laughs>
0: now I know why Steve is going to be flying in and flying out.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. They call, they, they, they call that sanity. It's like <laughs> step back, step away. Oh, I've got to go for an extra week, mate, so I won't be back. Uh,
0: Yeah, sorry, I won't be back until the week after next because, yeah. yeah. you know, something's come up. At, uh, yeah, right.
3: I think we've both
2: had discussions around the need for having a day off uh, when he does come back. So yep. there'll definitely be that that element to it, I think, just stepping away for a minute just to recompose.
3: <laughs> we, we, we're we very good at juggling. Um, so, Nikki, obviously, with her business, having her fund the kids to school, all the runaround she does at home when I'm away. Then, when I'm away, I'm, you know, have that separation with the family as well. Then, when I, well, prior to us making the decision to go on the trip when I come back, um, I was running a small mini earth moving and excavation company uh, and landscaping. So, I was doing that full time as well. So, we, we didn't have a lot of downtime with each other. However, when we did, we utilised it well, and tend to plan things and get things done. So I think for us, it would just be gaining a routine. Once a routine sort of in rhythm, um, we should be fine. We, we synchronise very well, and we bounce off each other very well. So um, look, we've been together nearly twenty odd years, so we we sort of know how each other click. Uh, we know how to fit. It's
2: just a matter of delivering
0: exactly what's required to get our trip around. And I think if all else fails, there's always happy hour. <laughs> Absolutely. And and, and I, you need to remember something. I don't know whether you're aware of this yet. You may be that because you've done a bit of travelling before, but there's one advantage to happy hour, and that is no matter where you are in Australia and no matter what time it is in Australia, it's happy hour somewhere in the world, so you can join that, that group, wherever they might be, in spirit. And
3: there's definitely a pub in every country town, doesn't matter how
0: it. Absolutely. And I'm sure they won't mind a few extra people sitting right. at the bar. So do, is there anything that, that you sort of have fears about or concerns about doing this trip? Is, is there anything that, you sort of don't want to make public, but I'm now making you make it public, so to speak. Is is, is there anything that sort of, you know, just unsettles you a little bit about this, what you're doing? Yeah, look, it's most probably
3: myself, and I, I know it unsettles, Nicky, but myself, departing and, and leaving uh, Nick and the kids, whether it be in a caravan park or wherever they feel comfortable for the two weeks I'm gone. I'm normally the security block, or we've normally got our permanent neighbours at the next door, where now we've... And we're going into unknown territory in some of the states we go into, so just that fear of you know when they lock the, car in, the caravan door, are they safe inside? Um, that'd be the biggest one for me, besides your general, you know, road kilometres and travelling on the road. Which, um, carrying carrying a van, it, it can have it have its toll, but yeah, I think for me, it's just saying goodbye and sleepless nights for two weeks while I'm away.
2: Uh-huh. I think, um to be honest, I don't think that actually worries me too, like as much. I think um, my biggest thing was being able to tow the caravan myself um, because as far as if we're in a caravan park and I don't feel safe or we're not enjoying it, as long as I can pack up and drive out, then that part doesn't worry me too much. Um, but in saying that, I did drive the the car and the caravan back for an hour and a half the other day, and I didn't do too bad. <laughs> as long as I can get in a bit of practice, I think you know that's probably my biggest thing. I think everything else we're just excited about. I don't think there's anything too scary. Uh, huh? there, there, there is, there is one.
0: What's that? Now, oh, oh, hang on, hang on. Crocodiles. There is one, Steve says.
3: <laughs> there is. Crocodiles. Wait for it. Crocodiles do migrate. Now, I'm used to swimming with fish and sharks. I'm not used to swimming with crocodiles. So I just need to make sure that there's a sign posted somewhere that says, warning, do not swim crocodiles. I'm right. But I know there's places we're going to go that will have that sign, but you may not see it, and they're in there.
0: You'll need to talk to a friend of mine up in the Northern Territory then. He'll set you straight when it comes to crocodiles. Now, now Steve, I don't know whether you've picked up on on something that Nikki's just said and I I feel like as a male I should you know do the right thing and just you know tap you on the shoulder and and, and say something to you here have you thought of Steve have you thought of fitting gps tracking to the caravan and car my concern is if if <laughs> Nikki gets that good at driving and packing up you're going to fly back in from somewhere and they're not going to flame and we'll be there right
3: so so the, the new the new uh, cell Wi Fi Go system I've got actually has built in GPS. So yeah, well
0: try and pull it apart, but I'll find out. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. I
2: think the good thing is that me and the kids like to explore a bit more. So I don't think we're going to go too far from where we drop them
0: off. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Okay, so we're getting close to Christmas. So I, I, I've heard a rumour, Steve, that that. Your first When you first head off from uh, your hometown, uh, you're going to be heading to see your family in Victoria. Is that right?:
3: Yeah, so I'll go and spend uh, Christmas dinner with my mum and stepfather down in uh, a little town called Dinghy, which is uh, in the Golden um, in rural Victoria. Um, and we'll spend a few few nights there on Christmas Christmas Eve, boxing day, and then spend it with a few rallies, and then we'll take off from there. He's quite looking forward to it. It's been, oh, I'd have to say for a family Christmas, It'll be a good eight nine years. We're all sat at yeah. one table, so.
0: Ah, oh, that'll yeah. be special. That'll be sp- that, that is going to be special, isn't it?
3: He's looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, and 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 it's sort of extra special because of the adventure that you and your family's embarking on.
3: Exactly. Straight after. Uh, good way to start. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever you go to your in-laws or outlaws or whatever you want to call them in some cases, you want to look for somewhere to hide. We can park a caravan out the front. So <laughs> Nicky and the kids can go and hide there if they want to leave me with mum.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's not going to be that bad. So have you got a plan of where you want to go to first after Christmas? Uh,
2: we've got a, we just spoke about this the other day, actually. We've got a little bit of a general plan. We're going to sort of head in the direction of down to Phillip Island um, and do a bit down there. And then we're going to sort of head along the Great Ocean Road area. Um, We're going to spend New Year's Eve in Anglesey. Um, Right,
3: yep.
2: Do um, the Great Ocean Road and Mount Gambier and all that along the way. And hopefully we'll probably end up around Adelaide for when Steve goes back at the end of January.
0: All righty. So I guess we'll have to catch up with you then to find out how you're all getting on together inside that van instead of a big house.
2: (laughs) Yeah, if we're all still like each other.
0: (laughs) Well, look, guys, I first of all want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and hope you have a great time down catching up with your family, Steve. Uh, I hope everything goes well for you on the road and I suppose the next thing is for me to ask you guys are you prepared to come onto the podcast regularly and share your adventures with us as you travel around?
2: Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. <laughs> All
0: right. Now, I should also point out at this stage, you guys have got a Facebook page as well, haven't you?
2: Yes, and
0: Instagram as well. Okay. So do you want to mention your Facebook page and, and, and your social media links that you've got?
2: Yeah, no worries. Um, it's called The Daily Trippers, um, travelling around Australia and New Zealand. Um, so we're on Facebook and Instagram at the moment, and we the kids are super keen to do a bit of a YouTube channel, so that will probably be coming up in the near future as well.
3: Yeah, and, and daily is D-A-L-Y.
0: I was just about to ask that, Steve. I'm glad you put that in.
3: Daily, D-A-L-Y,
2: Trippers.
0: All right. Obviously, we're going to follow you on the podcast and have regular chats with you. We'll also, uh, with permission of course, share some of your posts uh, on our Facebook page as well. And uh, look, I look forward to chatting with you all again soon. And I look forward to chatting to the girls. I can't wait to hear their excitement about this trip.
3: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, for
0: sure. All right. Well, take care, guys. Talk to you soon.
3: Thank, Thank you very
0: much. Okay. Okay. So my next guest, uh, you're probably familiar with now because he's been on the podcast a few times, is, is Ranger Nick. And I've noticed that on his website, he's, he's got a, a few books, but there's one that's got me intrigued because of the title. And the title is Boy from the Bush. You should be walking with me when I'm walking by myself. G'day, Ranger Nick.
4: Top of the morning to you, mate. Well, I have to say, you, you picked the, one of my favourite books as well. That, that one I've had was the first book that I've ever published. I've mentioned to you before that I wasn't very studious, so you'll find that the books are not written in English. They're a very colloquial type of a language. There's a few yarns and that in them and a bit of poetry in, in another. Um, but I actually dedicated that book to my, my folks, to my family. So... Um, it certainly pulls on heartstrings for me, and they're very traditional-type meals. They're basic ingredients, the type of thing you are likely to have in your tucker box. And the title come about when um, my old man was a funny little bugger, I've got to say, but um, not a good man to upset, but he, he's certainly a very humorous uh, little fella. It uh, looked a lot like Al Fudd, actually.
1: <laughs> all <my> he, fun.
4: <laughs> oh mate he always had a veggie patch I my mean, mates used to call him elmer because he'd be chasing them out because they'd be in there pinching strawberries and carrots and he wore baggy pants and had a balding head so yeah they all used to brand him elmer so um which he never took kindly to if he ever got older them, they're always got a bit of a touch-up so but he was walking down the street with one of my sisters when she was uh, much younger as a little girl one day and uh, walking up the the street in Miles there past the bakery, and um, my sister Ronnie's looked up at Dad. She said, gee, Dad, she said, you walk fast? He said, yeah. He said, if you think I'm walking fast now, he said, you should be walking with me when I'm walking by myself.
3: I and it's always,
4: it's always been a bit of a joke in the family, and my sister's often threatened to put a, a series of stories together and uh, name a book. You should be walking with me when I'm walking by myself. It has never ever eventuated. So I asked them if they'd mind if I use that title for the first um, cookbook that I wrote, and they were happy happy to let me use it. So that's how it sort of came about. And I got a lot of people asking me or saying to me at times, "Geez, I'd like to follow you through the scrub." So if you're one of those people, well, you should be walking with me when I'm walking by myself. You'll get a good
3: feed.
0: Are you a quick walker though, or are you a slow walker?
4: Mate, I, it depends on what's going on. If I've got a barrel pig behind me, I seem to step up the pace a bit. But um, generally, I like to take my time and have a good look around. I think it's a beautiful world we live in, and I don't want to miss any of it when I am out there. So I do like to pace myself and uh, listen to the songbirds and look at the wildflowers.
0: All righty. So give us one of your recipes from this, this book. Um, you should be walking with me when I'm walking by myself.
4: There's one that comes to mind straight away, and, and it's a quick and easy one. It's called puff balloons. Now, puff balloons were a bit of a favourite in our household. Whenever mum went away, dad dubbed himself chief cook and bottle washer. So when he cooked something, whether it be fritters or, or uh, uh, rissoles or something like that, or puffed balloons, you got this massive big mound that you'd be eating for a week. So puffed loons are basically a shallow fried scone, and Dad would often do them in suet or a uh, dripping. But if you just use a bit of uh, olive oil or brand or ro- rice bran oil, you'll get much the same result. So it's just a basic scone recipe. If you use two cups of self raising flour, a tablespoon of raw sugar, a teaspoon of salt, a couple of tablespoons of of cream. And a cackleberry, drop a bunnut in there. You always, uh, They always go over well if you've got them. And uh, just mix all that ingredients together. Now, one little thing I'll say to you, I hear so many people say, my scones are like rock cakes. There's two reasons that that may happen. One is because your oven's not hot enough, and two, because you've overworked the mix. So try not to overwork the mix. Just mix all those ingredients together until they come together in that nice, nice form um and i like to add a little bit of ginger beer to that because i do like the ginger beer in my baking just to get it to that consistency so that it's easy to work so if it's all sticky it's a little bit wet add a bit more flour till you get it so you can handle it bake those into a i I usually just break it apart roll it into balls set it in the camp oven and bake it like that if you want to go to the trouble of patting it out and Cutting out little scones with a with a cup and all that. By all means, go right ahead. But uh, I just think, well, we're on the river bank. I'm not going to too much trouble. Roll them into balls, set them in there like a shape of a daisy. Give them about ten to ten to twelve minutes with a nice hot oven around 180 200 degrees, um, and you'll get good results. And one of the tips I'll give you with baking is if you can smell that baking. Probably cooked or very close to it. So ten to twelve minutes, if you watch your watch your watch the time and uh, just use your nose. If you can if you can smell the baking, it's very likely that it's not far off being cooked.
0: Now I liked how you said you know you don't bother with you know getting them cut and shaped and put them in perfect. I always reckon that if you look at a scone or or, or something like that sometimes and it looks. Perfectly symmetrical and looks like it's been precisionally made. I think. Hang on, what are they trying to hide? It's obviously, (laughs) you know, I I would much rather pick up a scone that's got a little bit of a unusual shape to it and think, yep, that one is mine. I reckon it's going to taste good.
4: Yeah, a little bit of individuality. You're right, and that's one of the things you get from the puff balloons rather than. Rather than having them in an oven and, and relying on that smell and that time, um, by fry or shallow frying them in that fat or oil, you can actually see them brown up and rise. So as you roll them round a bit, you can tell when they're cooked and you just got to break them open and serve them a bit of uh, straw, strawberry jam and cream. Um, you'll find they've got a nice crisp, punchy outer, and uh, they go down a real treat. They're a little different to a scone, but one thing Dad always said: if you leave them in the fridge overnight, they're no longer puff balloons; they're actually leather jackets.
0: Leather <laughs> jackets.
4: Yeah. So as they cool down, they get a leathery jacket, and they taste every bit as good. I've got to say, you've just got a leathery outside.
0: Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks to On the Road Magazine. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and visit adventuresontheroad.com.au for more information on this and other episodes. I'm Shane. If you're travelling over the holiday period, have a safe journey.